Welcome to the Minimalist Vegan Podcast, a place where we like to explore what it means to live with less stuff and more compassion. Hello, my name is Michael and I'm joined by my wife, Marsha. Hello. And in this episode, what are we talking about? We're talking about a few different things, but predominantly eating healthy as vegans. That's kind of the general gist and how we plan to approach it moving forward. So it'll be a mix of, you know, us getting to explore this area on a personal level, but because food is part of our business, also talking about it, how that will affect the minimalist vegan moving forward. Yeah, it is. So I think this is, we're seeing this conversation as a bit of a, brainstorming and a planning session for us as well um, and we're just going to bring you along on the journey and you know hopefully you can get some things out of it but um, look I don't want to waste any time let's jump straight into it well but before we do I have a little bit of housekeeping there's two things I wanted to mention if you hear any noises in the background we do have some construction going on close by so we apologize for that but there's not much we can do about it um, and also before we get into it I wanted to mention that we're not health experts and that if you do take on any of this advice, we advise that you probably first see a healthcare professional and get an idea of what suits you. Um, This is just, you know, we're going to be talking about what we're finding after doing a lot of deep diving and research into what will work for us moving forward, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for you as well. So um, you'll probably learn a few things along the way, but as I said, just take it with a grain of salt and don't be too serious about it before you talk to your healthcare professional. Good disclaimer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So where do we begin, Marsha? We okay. So I think we first need to revisit an episode that we published a little while back about the vegan trade-off. Episode twenty-four. Episode twenty-four. Fantastic. And in that conversation, we spoke at length about this idea of a compromise experience when you first become vegan, from like an omnivore to a vegan. And uh, while a lot of vegans would like to argue that in terms of the flavor of food and experiences you have in food and what's available, there's an abundance, you don't lose out on anything. We found that there was a bit of a dip. Yeah. I mean, you'd be you'd be kidding yourself if you didn't even, you know, going from vegetarian to vegan, there's a big difference. So I That's think right. it's important to acknowledge that there is a transition and that you will be missing out on certain things, but that the compromises, you know, the benefits outweigh the compromises that you make, um, whether it's for health, whether it's for the animals, whether it's for the environment and all three of those things. So I think it's important to acknowledge that, yes, there is a trade-off, there is a compromise, but it's it's worth it. Yes. But then with that, that trade-off, it, it prevents a lot of people from even trying veganism in the first place, mm. right? Because there's this perceived idea of like, uh, I, I am used to having turkey at Thanksgiving and now I'm not going to be able to do that. Mm. Or, you know, your experience when we went back to Slovenia. Yeah. Where you... That was one can thing. I, can I, I think we've talked about this yeah, before, Yeah, yeah, in maybe. the trade-off episode. Oh, I right, just wanted yeah. to resurface that because I always yeah. think that's a, a funny example. But um, actually, do you want to explain it? Sure. So there is one particular dessert that I have fond memories of when I was younger that's well known to a particular... Well, it's well known across Slovenia, but it's well known in a particular area called Lake Bled. And people come, they travel just to try this cake. And so what I said to Michael when we were first traveling to Europe was I said, if there's anything that I want to have as that's not vegan, I want to have this dessert. It's called Kremschnitter and it's pretty much two layers of um, puff pastry with cream and custard. But it like it sounds pretty average, but it's actually quite amazing. It's, it's incredible. So... We went to Lake Bled with some family friends and I ordered it and I had such high expectations and I tried it and I was so underwhelmed and maybe it's because of the association that I have with now, you know, dairy products and egg products and all of that in my head that it had some psychological things happening for me in the background. But I don't recall that, but I do imagine that I would struggle. If I wasn't vegan, I probably would have enjoyed it that little bit more. But it honestly wasn't as amazing as I remember it being. And on top of that, 
that week we also went to a place called Loving Hut. It's quite well known, I think, in quite a few different areas in Europe where it's like an all-you-can-eat vegan buffet type of cafe slash restaurant. And so we went there, which was close to my auntie's house in Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia, when we were staying there. I think we were there for about a week. Mm -hmm. And we had the vegan version of it. And it was so much better. And because I had the direct comparison, Mm. like, and not like the comparison of when it was from way back Mm. to now like i think there was a couple of days in between yes and i was like i'm actually not missing out on anything i actually prefer this one and to top it off i took two of my mum's close friends there as well while we visited and they're not vegan and they i made them try it and they absolutely loved it they said it was better than the real thing yeah so it's just interesting that i think I imagine that a lot of non-vegans would be like, please, this isn't how it's meant to be and whatever. But if something tastes good, it tastes good, regardless if it's traditional and in inverted commas or not. Mm. So I think that's an important point to make yeah. that, you know, sometimes, okay, it might be a rarity, but, you know, with every year that goes by, there's more vegans on this planet and there's more money invested in, in vegan products. So, you know, I don't even, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years time. I don't think we'll feel like we're missing out on anything at all. Yeah. You know, the so, gap, the gap is closing, yeah. but, but I suppose you were, you know, a pretty f- hardcore vegan at the time and to make the call to, am, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. But to make the call to, um, to stop that for one moment yeah. says a lot about, the trade-off, this perceived idea of like desperately wanting to have those experiences you once had before you were vegan. And the highlight here is experience. You wanted to experience yeah. it because it's like that's all that they serve in that cafe. They're well known for that. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think a few months after we were there, a vegan cafe opened up like across the road. From Did it them. really? that was serving vegan versions of it as well. So I imagine, Ah. you know, so again, you can go to the same area and experience the vegan version of it without having to compromise. I don't know if it's still open or not, but this was now talking five, six years ago. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see that. Yeah. Well, look, and, and I think this segues into the next point nicely because this idea of closing the gap in the vegan trade-off is something that we've brought into what we do at The Minimalist Vegan as well. So because a lot of we find that, you know, a lot of people are apprehensive to become vegan because of these experiences, because of these foods that they're missing out on. So what do we try and do? So we use cooking as a form of activism. So, and you see a lot of food bloggers, vegan food bloggers, trying to recreate mm. non-vegan foods, traditionally non-vegan foods, and make them vegan, like veganize this, veganize that, just to show people that they don't have to miss out on things. And then we will very much ride in that wave, especially well, in the I last make, 12 months. I did make creme cheese. Exactly right. Yeah, Marsha has <laughs> so, taken upon herself to make this very recipe. She stopped being vegan for, for one meal. Mm. For one moment, she can now make like we can have vegan crunch nita whenever we want. Yeah, and it's interesting because it blew up on social media. Yeah, like people absolutely loved it, and so many people were saying, "Oh my god, you know, I thought I'd never be able to have it again. Thank you so much." Yeah, you know, people have this nostalgic feeling with certain foods. And it's just amazing that, like, I put in quite a lot of work into it. There was a lot of epic fails. Yeah. And it wasn't the same as the one that we tried at Loving Hut in Ljubljana that time. It was my version of it. And it was probably the closest thing that I would have had to it. Yes. And um, I remember actually when I first had it, I almost cried because I was just so excited and so happy that, you know, I can make this anytime. Yeah. So I you don't, you don't actually, have to you don't have to teleport yourself to Lake Bled. Like yeah. you just you can just create it yourself. Like that is a superpower yeah. in itself. That's awesome. I'll be making it actually next week when my sister and her boyfriend come and visit. There you go. Yeah. So I mean, this is a really proud moment as as recipe creators is to have this type of influence, cooking as activism to show people that it's possible. And, you know, if you go on our website in the last 12 months, you'll see a lot of these examples, mm. you know, from lasagna, moussaka, baked ziti, 
to a variety of cakes. We spent a whole month this baked making cheesecake. cakes, baked cheesecakes, yeah. right? I remember when you made the cheesecake, that was another moment where I'm like, oh, since I've been vegan, I've probably only had one really good cheesecake, maybe two, mm. because the majority of them are either raw or the baked versions that just missed the just mark. Just missed the mark, yeah. Yeah, so we we did a lot of testing for this cheesecake and to get it to the way that it is, and it's like, great. Like, I don't feel like I'm missing out. This is what I remember ch- a cheesecake tasting like. Mm. And it's a great accomplishment, you know? Mm. So this became a bit of a thing, like a bit of a... Now, we weren't... I wouldn't say that we've gone as far to say that we're junk food vegans. Mm. Um, we don't i don't think we've used like vegan cheese on any recipes we rarely use vegan butter we don't use um, any fake meat fake meat yeah. or anything like that so it is relatively clean in that sense but we are like let's not not make a joke about it like you know when we have these conversations about what do we want to publish next we're wanting it to be fairly epic we want to you know, entice people with their eyes, whether it's on social media or video or on a blog post to cook this food mm. and to feel like they're empowered and that they can get all the comfort, all the great foods that they want by being vegan. And it's to that point that you brought up before, like becoming vegan and then going, oh my God, what am I going to do it? You know, like the set example that you used of having turkey at Thanksgiving. And sometimes it's it's important to like acknowledge that life is changing that we're growing as human beings and maybe turkey even as a you know to have a turkey alternative might not be the right thing it's time to change up and create your own tradition if you want to have a meal that you can impress your family and friends with that's vegan but that again that doesn't compromise on flavor and that everybody can enjoy and it doesn't make you feel like as a vegan that you're putting something on the table that's not that you're not proud of or yep. that, you know. So I think, I mean, there's a whole bunch of dishes that I would be more than proud of to put on any dinner table at any, yes. you know, holiday. Yes. So I think that's kind of like also rethinking the way that people eat certain foods around certain holidays as well. Yeah. Well, and it's it could, it could be holidays. It could be just every week you catch up with your parents to have food or whatever whatever routine or rituals mm. or traditions you've built into your life it's normally tied around food and this is what makes the whole thing quite hard and and that's why we yeah we did seek to make a bit more of those comfort foods if you like to help address that that challenge yeah um but and I, there is a big but there is a big but <laughs> You know, I suppose trying to create foods of this nature, while it's we're not all the way junk food vegans, it's not exactly the healthiest food in the world either. Mm. So what we're finding is that through creating all these this food and recipes, and Cake Month was a great example, and we're really grateful for all the local Tasmanians, uh, vegans that we were able to connect with to actually come and help eat this cake that we were making. Because it wasn't just the final product, it was some cake that we were testing, um, you know, the first version or the second version. Like there was just a lot of flour and sugar and, and things happening in this household. And it was very overwhelming to have around because obviously it entices us to eat more of that. And so I suppose it's we're, rec- we're realizing and recognizing that there's room for improvement from a health side. And a lot of this food that we're creating because let's now bring it back to, to us, right? Mm. So next, well, in the next couple of months, we're both turning 33. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're reala- realizing that there's some changes happening in our bodies, right? Yeah. It's very clear, at least very clear for me in my own body that my metabolism is slowing way down. I'm mine too. Um, and, you know, like go play basketball for 90 minutes just don't have the same ability playing against 17 year olds that doesn't help either um (laughs) but um there's definitely some some changes that we're seeing in our bodies and where what used to work five even just a couple years ago doesn't work the same today i noticed like around the age of 30 that my body started changing in not the best ways I started noticing certain things and I was like, okay, so is this the new reality for me? You know, and I think this is where a lot of people sometimes maybe they're not in tune with their bodies as much. And especially when you have like, I feel like we have that capacity because we work for ourselves 
and our business is sort of centered around food and um, we spend a lot of time at home that we do notice these things rather than people that are super busy on the go all the time you know, or have just children or whatever yeah yeah yep. so for us I feel like we've kind of been able to be in tune with it a little bit more than I feel like some other people have have the capacity to be yeah because I think it can be an very overwhelming thing to think that okay my body's changing I have to change I have to do something about this otherwise it's just it's not looking good Mm. so as doom and gloom as that sounds that's the reality you know and we're noticing it as we're aging as we're getting older that that the changes are starting to happen faster and faster yes where you go okay I've never weighed this much in my life and not that weight has to do with everything, but it's also you being comfortable. Like if you're comfortable within your own skin. That's right. And quite honestly, neither of us are where we are right now. Yep. So I think that that was the main sort of wake up call for us to go, okay, we've got to do something about this. And our bodies need much more support than what we're giving them. Yes. So... Uh, it, and and there's a lot of other things that play into this this motivation at the moment. Of course, part of it is always going to be vanity, right? Uh, part of it's going to be performance and just generally feeling good about yourself, being able to do the things you want. Part of it is energy. There's many factors. I mean, I remember I watched a TED talk last year, and I'll link to it in the show notes about this guy talking about how we lose three to eight percent of muscle mass every decade after the age of thirty, and we just basically start to deteriorate in our bone structure and everything, and all the implications for this. So, like, it's just the acknowledgement mm. of change, basically. Yeah. That I think for a while there, we're just like, ah, this will be fine. This will be fine. But now it's like, whoa, okay, this is unavoidable now, right? It's not like it'll be fine. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, that's probably more appropriate. Where now it's like, okay, no, yeah, you know, you wake up every day and you you just don't, you don't feel like you once used to. Yes. And it's interesting, like, I look back at photos of myself when I was younger and back then I could get away with so much more than I can now. Yep. And it's interesting. I never thought that that would be the type of person that I would be. Yeah. But like, as always, you always complain, oh, I wish I had skinnier legs back then. And now I look at my legs and I'm like, what What was I complaining about? Like my legs were skinny. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with my legs. But I think it's always for me, I guess it's also that, you know, that muscle, that strength, that energy. Yeah. That yeah. I... Um, that, f- that functional sort of day-to-day energy and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's admirable when you hear people say like, I feel better than I ever have. And they're, you know, they're saying that in their their 40s and 50s. That's right. And even 60s. So I guess in some ways that's like kind of what we aspire to do now is be at our be- in our best shape of our lives. Yes. I mean, that sounds a bit dramatic, but like... No, not at all. At the same time, that's kind of like our goal. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, health is, is everything, right? Mm. <laughs> so I think if you apply a level of intentionality, I mean, um, you know, how is this not a top priority? especially when you have the capacity to make it a priority. So, yeah, I just think there's a shift. I'm really happy that there's a shift in mentality for that. But I suppose it means it means change. We need to accept change and then we need to change. And they're not change individually. We may need to change how we approach the minimalist vegan as well. There's a lot of things there, right? Because at the end of the day, like some of these foods that we're creating, while they're like, you know, we're trying to create these hits, like these epic, great meals that people will love and sort of look at with their eyes and be like, yeah, that's, oh my God, you know, this is what you can eat on a vegan, like when you're vegan, can you believe this is what you can eat to like, all right, but you also want to make sure that are you living to your most optimum health on a plant-based diet as well? I think because the minimalist vegan so intertwined in our personal lives you know, it's just the two of us yeah. that work on this. It's not like we've got a big team where we can outsource, like, you know, I can write out a recipe and go, okay, you guys go test that out. 
I'll try a bite of it and leave it at that. You know, yeah. like they go through iterations of making it better or whatever. We don't have that. No, we've got to eat the food. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it fails or doesn't fail. I mean, there's only been a couple of times where I've just literally thrown things in the bin because it's just not worth yeah. us suffering through that. But that doesn't happen very often. It's maybe happened two or three times in the five years that we've had the minimalist vegan. So... So we've got a, you know, and it's not even just once, it's a couple of times, at least two, three times by the time that the recipe is ready that we've got to make it over that week. Yeah. So that all kind of adds up. And it's one thing, and it's one thing to eat the food. It's another thing to, the other idea is that we can test recipes and give it away to people. But the thing is, like, I'm not about, like, I don't think it will feel genuine for us to create different food for the minimalist vegan yeah. to what we're actually eating on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And still, we've got to try it and feel passionate about it. Like, I've That's got right. to write about it. I've got to share it with people and feel excited about it. And That's I, it. And I won't... Like, I probably would still, but, like, you wouldn't be on the same level if it was something that I was able to passionately <laughs> yeah. eat, you know? So, yeah. Um, this is... And this has been a point of our conversation for us over the last few days where we've kind of been scratching our head going, what are we going to do? Yep. Like, how are we going to pivot this? I mean, it's not that big of a drastic change. Some of you might be listening to this and going, yeah, whatever, you didn't even have to say anything. I'm all up for it as long as the food tastes great. But it is a bit of a dilemma because, like, we really enjoy eating the types of foods that we have been. And this change in how we're planning to approach food moving forward is a decent pivot for us. Yeah. So well, let's, before we bef- get to that. Yeah, I won't. I no, that's wasn't right. going to yeah. <laughs> <dive> deeper <laughs> straight away. So, yeah, give us a little introduction, I guess, Michael, as to how, because this all came from you and, you know, you love to go down certain rabbit holes and just want to, like, I guess, get an understanding and perspective as to why you decided to go digging into this particular area. Yeah, well, I think, as we said before, it was a acceptance of the metabolism slowing down. You know, things that I could do before to get into better shape were no longer working, right? And So what were some of those things? Yeah, so whether it was intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. um, for quite a while I was practicing, you know, eating one meal a day or two meals a day. And I felt really good when I did this in the past. And, and you I, did training at the same time. Yeah, training as well. Some resistance floor, um, training on a daily basis. Not, nothing crazy, but just 10 minutes of floor work and push-ups, sit up squats, things of that nature. And I've had great success with that in the past in terms of just feeling good, feeling lighter, feeling agile and, and getting results really. And also simplifying food. <laughs> as a minimalist, it's, it's a lot easier to think about sort of just eating one meal a day and planning for that as opposed to thinking about food for, you know, multiple cycles in a day. So um, there's a whole post I wrote about that. It's one of the most popular articles we have on The Minimalist Vegan. Um, so we'll link to that in the show notes so you can see a little, you know, get a, some perspective of that experience. But Do we do a podcast episode on it? No, as well? we've mentioned it We've mentioned it in okay. the past, but yeah. not a dedicated podcast. But So so I, I thought I could just roll that out again and it didn't, didn't have the same impact. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And you and went for it. I felt like it was longer this time than you did it the first time. Yeah, it was it longer. It was only, what, two years ago? Yeah, yeah, less than two years. Yeah, than two years about 18 months. So, yeah. yeah. So I had a split test. So I could see that the experience from 18 months ago compared to more recently was a completely different. Mm. Um, and then on top of that, I think, you know, I've joined the gym and from physical activity, I tend to eat a little bit better. It motivates me to eat better. And I've been, yeah, going to the gym and playing basketball, sweating through multiple shirts in a session, going, I don't know, three, four, four times a week, sometimes five times a week and having a great time. The big challenge there is trying to avoid injury. But um, that's been great. And I feel like I've been exerting a lot of energy and skilling up on the court and getting better in that environment. But in terms of, recovery mm. right um you know sort of dealing with injuries stop starting on the court like actually being able to move the body around explosiveness 
I these mean, are you've all. Got, you used to play basketball when you were younger. For most of your life, you've played basketball. Yes. So it's not like it's a new thing and you don't know what you're doing. So No, that's yeah. right. Like, yeah, my body has moved this way before for long periods of time. But it was just, a, just a, like you just feel it. Like you're just like, whoa, the performance. And it's not compounding, right? So week one compared to week five, there's not a huge difference. There's a difference, but not a huge difference compared to what I, what I, what I was used to. So that was also just thinking, okay, there's something else going on, mm. right? There's more digging that I need to do. So that's when I started to start consuming content from all angles around health. And there's some, some domain knowledge there um, from the past that I could build upon from doing like advanced uh, physical ed in high school and, you know, playing basketball at a higher level. There was some domain knowledge, but particularly in the nutrition side, there was a lot of room to grow. And I, it just became really apparent that it was more of a metabolic issue. It was more of a, a metabolism issue. And then as I looked further beyond that, it started to make more sense when we look at different body types, mm-hmm. right? And again, look, we're not health professionals, so, um, you know, please take this information with a grain of salt. But when I was starting to see the different body types as um, they call them somatotypes, and there's three different body types. You've got the ectomorph, the mesomorph, and the endomorph. So just to break them down very quickly, and you probably, you know, if you listen to this, maybe you've, you've heard of this before, maybe you haven't. I think it's really fascinating and interesting when you think about it. But an ectomorph body type is somebody who is considered to be quite skinny, very skinny actually. And they have a very, very quick metabolism, right? So their bone structure is not as dense and they don't have as much muscle. So they're a bit lanky, like long-limbed. Long-limbed, a bit lankier. Um, and they seem to just be able to eat whatever they want and they burn it off very quickly. So their main objective is to actually add on muscle mass and um, get stronger and potentially even put on a little bit of weight, right? And then you've got the endomorph. So the endomorph is, they're the big people of the world. (laughs) Um, So they're ones who tend to have very dense bone structure and quite a high percentage of fat. And their main challenge is actually keeping the fat off because their metabolism is slower, right? But they also have the ability to grow very big muscles as well. And then you've got the mesomorph, which is in between. So they're quite an athletic build and they tend to have broad shoulders and a very good ability, a very quick metabolism and ability to lose fat and also put on muscle at the same time. So these are people that you probably know in your life that are naturally quite athletic and can do a variety of things. So the best way to put it is if you were to look at like track sports, for example. So if I was to ask you, Marsha, like, who out of the body types is likely to be the sprinter, like the 100-meter sprinter? Who would that be? The mesomorph. Right? So the mesomorph, so when you look at a mesomorph, like a sprinter, they're very built, very strong, very powerful, and they've got very little body fat, right? And they could probably run, run the 100, the 200, maybe the 400 as well, okay? So if you then look at somebody who's running long-distance running on track, who do you think will Take have that? Off. Yeah. So they're the slimmer build, right? So yeah. we see this. Uh, I don't know. When I think of someone like running long distance really well, I think of like a Kenyan runner or something like that as well, who's really skinny, really light, and has incredible endurance. Yeah. And then who's the person throwing the javelin? The mesomorph. Yes. No. The, the endomorph. endomorph. Yes. So when you look at somebody throwing discus or javelin, they've got a thick body structure right? So they, even at their healthiest, their bones are so dense and like they're, you know, they don't really get to a level of, oh, looking really ripped, yeah, right? But they're incredibly strong. So you look at someone like Serena Williams, she's that body type. Yes. Like Serena Williams is like, wow, you look at her, she's like, whoa, looks really, really strong, but there's a chunkiness to her. Yeah. But you, and you just wonder, how does she move around the way she does, you know, mm. with that strength? Um, whilst Novak Djokovic would be more of an ectomorph. Like, he's yeah. very, very lean and a bit more lanky. So, the, these are some more examples of what these um, these body types look like. So, when I look at myself, I'm like, okay. And look, this is not like, 
there's not strict rules around this. You could be a hybrid of both. Most people are a hybrid of both. Mm. Um, like you might be an, you know, an ectomorph that's acting like an endomorph, like skinny fat, or you might be a mesoendomorph where, you know, you, you sort of double into both. Like you've got really dense bone structure, but you've got broad shoulders and you're quite athletic at the same time. Or like a pole vaulter, which might be like an ectomesomorph. Right, so they're very lean, but they have a little bit of extra muscle as well. So um, it's not black and white. Yeah. But this was very clarifying for me um, to understand my own body because when I looked at it, I'm like, okay, I'm clearly an endomorph, right? Mm. Um, and what that meant was sort of just accepting um, a little bit more about what is required for me to be healthy and to have, I suppose, realistic expectations of what optimal health is for me and what I need to do and everything is geared towards speeding up the metabolism because I naturally already have a slower metabolism and I'm going to have to work quite hard to keep that going or keep that at a good rate Mm. moving forward. So I guess if you're not sure which one you are, I think a trick that you told me is to kind of look at what your body type was like in your late teens, early 20s Yep. to get an idea of what your body naturally would be. Yeah. In those years is that's kind of like the peak of showing off which which body type you are. Yeah, exactly right. You can use that as a reference. So that's been really fascinating to learn about different approaches based on your, your body type and, and what you could potentially do. And yeah, so this has influenced definitely a lot of how we're eating now. In particular, like, so for example, with yourself, like you're naturally an ectomorph. Yeah. But you have probably trained your body over a lot of, over the last decade, probably mainly because of, you know, a lack of building muscle mass, but also because we we do eat a lot of carbohydrates, Mm. um, especially as vegans, uh, we both do, which has probably trained your body to act more like an endomorph just because of the insulin resistance. Because the big thing is, that endomorphs are more sensitive to insulin, right? Yeah. So they they tend to burn more carbohydrates than fats because their insulin spikes so high and it takes a long time to come down, right? Mm. So you see mesomorphs and ectomorphs are known to be natural fat burners, while the endomorph is more of a carbohydrate burner. But if you consume a lot of carbs over time, then you can start to trick your body into acting more insulin resistance, hence slowing down your metabolism in addition to age and sleep and stress and all the other things that come with health as well. So we're kind of in the same boat in terms of our approach moving forward, but it all stems from the foundation of understanding where we're at right now. And, you know, it makes more sense now that it doesn't really matter in terms of how many calories I burn or how much energy I exert on the basketball court on a weekly basis if I don't actually address the underlying um, functionality of my metabolism, for example. So that's what's led us to, you know, some of these changes. Yeah. So what are those changes? Like what what does our plate look like moving forward for us? Yeah. And look, this is a work in progress. So it's not by any means something that is complete. We're actually experimenting at the moment. Um, but so it's still very early days. Yeah, it's very early. Well. But yeah. the... Um, you know, of course, it's a holistic approach. So, sleep, stress management, which um, is a big one. I mean, sleep is you know fine. Yes, most nights. But I think the stress thing—it's interesting how now I, I see that you sort of say, "Well, if this is going to cause stress, you know, you might as well throw out your exercise and your eating habits out the window because it's not going to do like." It, if you eat well and you exercise and you sleep well, but your stress levels are through the roof. Yeah, and you're spiking your cortisol all day. It's not actually going to... You're not going to be getting the results that mm. you need. Yeah. So that's a really important piece of the puzzle as well. Yeah. As like are any of those other four yeah. that we mentioned or three, but that's a really important one as well that yep. most of us have issues around. And mm. I think a lot of people have issues with sleep as well, but 
I find that sometimes, depending on your situation in life, sleep might be easier to deal with than stress and anxiety. Well, isn't it interesting? Because um, not to say that young people uh, are not stressed or lacking sleep, but it, it, it feels maybe because we are in our 30s um, and we look at friends and family and stuff, it does, it does some ways feel that, you know, in this time of life, you know, 30s and 40s can be quite a stressful period of life. You know, there's a lot of pressure you can put in yourself from family, raising a family, career, financial commitments, just a whole bunch of stuff going on. So And having I, it all together, that's appearing right. like, you know, you've you've got everything under control. Yeah. So so I do see how um that can easily play a huge factor into slowing down the metabolism as well. So yeah, so stress management, sleep and exercise, so exercise more focused around a combination of cardio and strength training because having a higher muscle mass will help to increase metabolism and burn more fat, right? Um, and then the big one, though, is nutrition, is food. And this is not about dieting. We don't believe, like, we're not about that life, that dieting life. This is more about eating in line with what our body thrives on we want to thrive so this is for the endomorph body type yes yeah that's right and from the research i'm doing so far it's it's a bit dicey because i've been listening to i've been sort of consuming content for people who are non-vegan in the health industry and then folks who are vegan and it's fascinating to see some of the differences and anyone who's tried to see what's best for the body will probably run into the same confusion because there's so many opinions in the health industry but when it comes down to it to speed up the metabolism from a nutritional standpoint it appears to be very much dependent on reducing carbohydrates and when i say carbohydrates i'm talking about like the processed ones mainly right so your white breads and your rices and pastas and things of that nature um, and increasing proteins and some of the fats as well, some good quality fats on the plate. Because on a plant-based diet, you're still going to get inherently a lot of carbohydrates from eating you know, beautiful plants in your vegetables and your fruits. But I think the main takeaway here is that for us, you know, Marsha, you, took a, a, you had a blood test recently and it showed that your protein was right in the levels that it needed to be. It's not necessarily an issue, but in terms of actually speeding up the metabolism, um, it's proven to be a really effective approach to do that. So that's something that we're going to be focusing on more moving forward is looking at the quality of carbohydrates that we're consuming on a plant-based diet. And then on top of that, trying to increase the proteins. We already eat very good quality fats on a daily basis. So that's not too much of an adjustment, but that's the strategy in terms of cooking and eating. Um, for now and that's likely to change as we experiment more as we learn more about our bodies and how we respond to different foods and things like that as well yeah i think for us the the most puzzling thing has been to try and adjust the level of of carbs right so for instance if we're eating even a butter bowl we might have like quinoa some sweet potato with other grilled veggies and some salad avocado and like a dressing of some sort with maybe some nuts and seeds on top oh and a protein normally yeah sorry and like tofu or beans or something of that nature but now it's this whole thing of like well if you're reducing or removing the starchy vegetables which are high in carbohydrates and also the quinoa or the grains and things like that that kind of is the basis for most of our meals in general. That's right. And that makes up typically about 50% of our food. So like, for instance, if you have... At least, at least. If you have a curry, then you'll have it with rice. If you have like, you know, nachos, then you have it with corn chips. Mm. If you have like a wrap, then I mean, wraps are typically less of a component but then you'll have rice or some other kind of carbohydrate inside as well or mashed potato or you'll have roasted potatoes or boiled potatoes that you you know i'll boil like for instance potatoes and beetroot and make that into a salad with maybe some chickpeas and onions or whatever so I started going through my head and going, okay, so where, which meals that generally we eat 
would be less than 50% carbohydrates. There are very far and few in between. Yeah. So that kind of points to, and I guess, you know, like you like to, with your Ghanaian background as well, like that's yeah. quite a carb heavy Very diet. much. Yep. Um, a lot of rice. Uh, potatoes, yams. Potatoes, yams yeah. and all of those types of things. And so we do also eat some Ghanaian dishes that have yep. been, that we've made or that you've made vegan as well. So, and I feel like over the years, it's interesting because I believe when, I, before we started dating, my diet wasn't as carb heavy <laughs> as it became yeah. until we got together because I kind of look at like what my family eats naturally. Yep. It's not that carb heavy at all. No. Um, so that's interesting to see how I've turned into more of an endomorph yep. from an ectomorph. Yes. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> that's okay. No, yeah, no, it's true. And it's, and it's, and I think, um, vice versa, it's like we, we never in my family had like dessert really mm. with our mains, like with food. So I think that's something well, as a dessert, like after yeah, food, not yeah. while you're eating. Your no, main no, meal. no. But um, so that was something that I've picked up a habit from you as well. Yeah, so you've got a sweet it's, tooth now. Yeah, big time. <laughs> and um, so yeah, that's another thing that. So we've both got something to blame on each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to get that one in. Um, but <laughs> but it's true. It's it's yeah. true. It's a concoction of these habits, like. There's habits you have individually that come from your family and then there's habits that we've created together. Yeah. Living under the same roof and So we've kind of meshed those two the not so best parts of those two types of backgrounds into one and that's kind of like where we're at now, where our bodies are like, Okay, you guys need to do something about this because you can't keep living the way that you have up yeah. until this point. Which 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 five days ago was a very sad prospect. I mean, you know, we enjoy um a good curry. With some jasmine, not basmati, jasmine rice, and uh, followed by a nice dessert. Like, and we can create that, and we're happy. But is that serving us? Uh, particularly in eating, you know, eating that way consistently is not serving our bodies to live optimally. So that's just a reality, right? Mm. Um, but that's been a habit for a while. And this is not to say if you're listening to this, that's like you need to eat the same way because you've got a different body type, different body composition different age, different metabolism, everything, right? So and this you is, might be eating differently. Yeah, you, know, you, you might have been, different habits. Yeah. So this is just what we've come to realize about our own habits and our own situation. And and trying to knock out these crazy comfort foods for the minimalist vegan is not exactly helping that situation mm. either. I mean, in saying that, he's been talking about comfort foods this whole time, but we don't just do comfort no, food. No. Like that's not kind of the agenda of the minimalist vegan and our recipes we do enjoy sharing those but like even if you look at the last few recipes that i've shared you know a couple of them have been have been salads yep that are really nice but it's just one of those things that you kind of go okay so moving forward we still want to share delicious recipes with you guys but we also need to be true to ourselves and you know, because it is such a personal brand, it needs to evolve as we evolve. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, right? Yeah. Because, like, we have some loose plans for what we want to do for how we want to eat, right? But from the minimalist vegan standpoint, and just from a food standpoint, actually, it's like eating healthier for our body types. What comes to my mind is is food that's not necessarily that exciting. In short, it might taste good. You can make it taste good and it's filling. But in terms of showcasing that and inspiring people to try veganism, it's not exactly that exciting. At least that's what I, what I first thought when I thought about this slight change and pivot in direction. I don't know what you think about that, but it's it's more the excitement about it. It's It's kind of, it's very practical. Eating this way is like kind of very practical what I eat in a day type of simple foods and it's not necessarily the same like it's not like you need a very specific recipe to execute it it's quite simple to put together does that make sense yeah so but I think that you know a lot of the time you forget that people also want those everyday type of throwing together ideas you know like they want to be able to add something to their rotation of meals in a week 
where they're kind of over what they might be eating now and a lot of people also have don't have that much time mm. and like to plan ahead. They like to meal prep so that they can have something healthy to have at work. Yep. So, I mean, in saying that, so we broke down that it would mainly have to be so lower carb, higher protein, which for my body type is not actually natural. But as we mentioned earlier, I'm, my body's currently acting as an endomorph mm. just because of the higher intake of carbs that I've had over the years. So can you just, if you know, break down what a mesomorph and an ectomorph would naturally yeah, be right. inclined? So right. like when I go back to my natural state of being an yeah. ectomorph, yeah. what should I be eating more of? Yeah, well, from my understanding, like an ectomorph would be able to consume more carbs. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, again, you know, because I have a very fast metabolism and the general idea is to maintain or gain a little bit of muscle mass and a healthy weight mm. so of course a good dose of protein like a good balance always a good balance but they can be a bit more on the carb heavy side because of their metabolism while a, a mesomorph is all about like basically perfect balance between all the macronutrients yeah, yeah um and monitoring as as needed if they want to just maintain their weights increase their mass or reduce it a little bit but it's very highly balanced, right? But then the endomorph, of course, as we said, is they have to flip that equation a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so ectomorph gets away with a little bit more carbs. Yep. Endomorph needs to focus more on the proteins and the mesomorph is a balance, like just having yeah. more of a between. So would the fat, so like for instance, it would be like th- around 33% each if yeah. you're looking at a plate. Yep. So like... Thirty-three percent carbs. Thirty-three. Look, I don't want to get in. I don't want to get into the percentages because, like, my God, there's so many different guidelines and um, what people suggest. I'm learning in the health and fitness community. Yeah. But um. But generally speaking, but generally speaking, overarching, like that's kind of very broad spectrum thinking that we're talking about here. But again, it comes down to you. Like, as I am an ectomorph at the moment. I shouldn't be eating as an ectomorph. I should yep. be eating as an um, endomorph. endomorph to help my body to go back to its natural state. That's right. So a lot of people might have that issue. Yeah. Um, so it's something that you might want to consider and think about when you're putting yourself in these different body type categories as well. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we'll, we'll be sure to... Um link up the the show notes as much as we possibly can with the things that we've found along the way um, in case you're interested in learning more yourself because it is for me it's like what i'm enjoying about this is it's kind of like applying our business skills to health yeah and it's getting a bit nerdy about it and it's actually quite exciting because in the past these things have been seen by me as a real inconvenience you know what i mean it's like it's hard changing how you eat or being more dialed into that is hard. And it's also like this idea of like, I don't want to be thinking about food all the time. I don't want to mm. be obsessing about food mm. and I don't want to create an unhealthy relationship with food. Yeah. You know, so there's some fears around that as well. But what I'm finding so far, it's actually the opposite. It's very empowering to learn more about food and to apply it to your body and test things and to see what works. Yeah. So, uh, so far it's been a, a quite a positive experience. In, yeah. in learning about these things and applying it as well. And as we said before, like this isn't a diet. This is like a long life commitment. Yeah. And it's one of those things that... I even look at it more differently. Than I think it's a skill. Yeah. I'm actually looking at like this is like, um, you know, as you get older, like, and mm. you know, you, you, you being a grown up is just being skilled and understanding some of these things. I think we can all benefit from this understanding, right? Yeah. Because it drives how we feel every single day. Yeah. So it's more of like a, okay, it's moved up the priority list. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's what it's about. And in many ways, we're lucky enough that we can, I guess, intertwine that with our business and, you know, have these conversations like we are now on the podcast to be able to get an understanding of, okay, well, what what's going to happen moving forward? So if we bring it back to what we were talking about before, how you were saying that, well, a lot of the, the meals are not that exciting or that it's just food that you put together, you know, like our aim is now to make that as interesting and as appealing 
and as approachable as possible for for others to also enjoy that type of food so to take the guesswork out of it and that's kind of like the experimental slash research slash whatever part of you know what we do for a living so it's kind of fun scary and exciting at the same time but you know, there's already quite a few recipes on our website that would meet the criteria. Yeah. You might just have to slightly proportion it differently that you might not have, you know, take as many carbs as part of that meal yep. or just swap it out for a different vegetable. Yep. So there's definitely lots of options on there already. And again, this is predominantly going to be what we're going to be doing as part of the endomorph lifestyle. Yeah, but it's all it's all about your own journey, and I think even for us, it's right now you're going to be sort of tackling this like me, but that's for you. It could like it's likely to we expect and we hope is to change as you go back to your natural state, and then you'll be able to eat differently again, and then yep. that will mean that you can you'll be sharing different things, you yep. know. So it's like it's an evolving thing it's not like a strict sort of direction mm. it's just that you know right now we're realizing that we need to do something about this yeah and you know i guess you will probably see healthier recipes on tmv moving forward yeah more at least and, yeah. and and i suppose that's what we'd love to hear from you about like you know if you if you're listening to this and you've, you've been someone who's um you know made our recipes in the past or follow along in the food aspect of the minimalist vegan you know have you thought about if you'd like to see more healthy recipes or just your general feedback on this episode to understand where you're at in your journey and because it's a very different mindset i i feel like when i first became vegan it was about minimizing the gap of the trade-off it was about oh okay i don't want to be missing out on these foods so let's recreate that that's what the motivation was now what six and a half years into our vegan journey and getting older our priorities have changed now it's about okay we want to live a healthy lifestyle want to be optimum you know it's it's not necessarily just about how the food tastes Mm. um it's now about you know living your best self as well so it's shifted a little bit. And I'd love to understand from you as a, as a listener, like what uh, have you, are you gone through a similar journey? Like, is this something you've experienced as well? Like it's no longer an issue for us. We're not like going out to supermarkets and saying, Oh, where are the vegan options? Like it's, it's happening. It's changing around us. So people who just want to make the shift from an ethical standpoint, that's fantastic. There's options there for you, but those who want to also be really healthy, then, you know, there's a whole different, ball game there there's a different levels to this i mean mind you as you're as you were talking i just reminded myself how sometimes we are in our little bubble in the sense of how we how we think that you know even just looking at our website and the recipes that we have on there someone might come on there and say oh my god i don't know what you're talking about your websites <laughs> look super healthy already yeah you know so it depends on on what you're used to yeah, eating true. and what you've grown up eating. Like for for me in particular, I grew up relative, like my family would predominantly eat vegetables and beans and legumes and all of that sort of stuff. So, and we'd have cheese and some carbs, but not too much. Like when growing Potato up. Potato heavy, right? Yeah, but if not anything. like we hardly ever ate rice. Yeah. Especially white rice. If it was anything, it would be more so pasta brown rice and pasta yep and like bread pasta bread and potatoes yeah well it was my well, family that's more of a european my family was just like rice yeah <laughs> rice on rice and rice yeah you probably had pasta too and i had a lot of bread and pasta as yeah. well um, I, i'm a carb dude <laughs> my whole life i've just been obsessed with carbs yeah. like processed carbs yeah really obsessed wheat bics I well, think I ate 20 wheat bix in one sitting one time. But this is like... Yeah, when I was young and stupid. More than a decade ago. No, like, more, like I was like a 14-year-old or something. Yeah, so yeah. You, you're talking on two decades <laughs> now, so don't make it seem like yeah. it was just But like the roots are there, ago. you know? <laughs> the roots. <laughs> ingrained. They're ingrained, yeah. So, um, but ironically, this whole like having more protein, less carbs hasn't really been an issue because it's like, wow, this stuff is so filling. I've been actually quite impressed because Michael is a big eater Mm. and I mean, I am too, but not as big as you. Mm. And I'm always surprised how much food you can fit into your body. Mm. And 
since you've been doing this like sort of lower carb, higher protein, you're probably eating about half of what you normally would and are getting full of it. Yeah, which is, I hope it's not like, because I'm, I'm tracking it, like it's actually, I'm under eating. Mm. So I actually need to figure out a way to eat more, but I'm literally, it's filling me up so much. I'm really impressed. It's just crazy how you can just adjust some things yeah. and your body is just like, what is this? I'm processing it differently. Mind you, I, I did already say to Michael, like, because people, if you've had issues with eating disorders in the past or have yep. that sort of, um, it might be triggering for you or you know yourself that you have not necessarily an addictive personality, but someone that can lose themselves in calorie counting or things like yeah, of that nature. Sure, so sure. just be really mindful. Like I even said to him, just be careful that it doesn't become this thing where you're obsessing over it. Yeah. So I think that's a really important thing to highlight is to make sure that you have a healthy relationship with food. And again, that you don't like if, if you do have more carbs, one like it's not, it's not the end of the world. This is a thing. I think it's just being mindful of it yeah. and letting go and not bashing yourself over the head about it. I, I completely agree. I think for me, um, you know, punching food into this app called Chronometer, it's more about um, learning. It's more about learning, okay, cool, quantifying what this food is. Yeah. Um, and then having the knowledge. And then I don't, like, I don't want to get into that game of tracking. Like, it's just having a good understanding. But I can see... I can see how that's a trap. Like yeah. you could just be like, you know, just looking at the. It's just like business. You can you just get lost looking at your looking analytics, at numbers, yeah. looking at your numbers all the time. Are they going up? Are they going down? What's yeah. you know, like it can just become a really unhealthy obsession. So yeah. I understand how that could happen. Now you get all this information. Mm. Like oh okay, look at that. Hit all my iron this today. Hit all this, and it's like oh. Oh, I ate too many carbs. Therefore, yeah. I must deprive myself tomorrow. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I yeah. under ate. I need to eat more tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just about awareness, but not becoming obsessive about it. Because this that, that's a new world to me. You know, like this is something um, I haven't really been exposed to. I haven't had any in my life who's been down that path before. So it's yeah. um yeah, it's interesting. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, that was a. <laughs> a lot to kind of offload onto you guys. I hope that you've uh, you've tuned in up until this point and that you found this episode interesting. Yep. I think, you know, like for us now, it's just about working out, okay, one foot in front of the other because this, again, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle shift. And we want to be able to introduce this and, and make it part of the minimalist vegan in a healthy way that, you know, it can contribute to your life mm. as well if that's what you want. We've got still plenty of other recipes on there that you and, can... And it won't necessarily be the end of some of those recipes we've created. Like, no. It's just more, I think we want the the archive of recipes to reflect balance, you yeah. know, to reflect options for everybody. Yeah. And um, right now there's not a not many options there's some options but for what we're about to embark on mm. um we, we want to create we want to create of more of that yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. for the time being you know yeah. cool well right. i think we've said is there anything else you no want to no that's it it's good it's been a very cathartic episode so yes thanks for that well tune into this space and uh see where this journey takes us yeah maybe we'll give you guys an update in the future episode as well just to um just to touch base touch and base. see how we're going and how it's progressing for us and let us know if that's something that you'd be interested in or if you think, nah, no thanks, too yes. personal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like we've both obviously got goals, like loose goals. It's not, you know, like we, it, it's not necessarily like I want to get to this weight. I think it's just more about how we feel. You know, how we yeah. feel, in, feel in our own skin. And how our body functions. How our body functions to be able to have less stress, sleep well, eat well, exercise for more energy and all of those things. So, and if you know any of my background, if you've listened to previous episodes or if you know me personally, I have had issues with chronic fatigue and a lot of other complicated things in my health background. So, it'll be interesting to see someone approaching it from that point of view as well as someone like Michael that always has lots of energy is quite 
the opposite to me mm. um, and us going on a similar journey in this. So that will be interesting to, to see as well how that unfolds. Yep. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and we hope that you enjoyed this episode. And as Michael mentioned before, we will link to as many different resources and all of those types of things in our show notes, which will be at theminimalistvegan.com forward slash 057. Uh, And if you have any questions or want to talk to us further about this or have any suggestions or you just want to say hi and say that you enjoyed this episode or that you look forward to tuning in again when we have an update, please email us. You can send us a um, DM on Instagram. We'll leave a comment on the show notes. Cool. All All right. right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. See you later. Chat to you next time.